welcome to the Mobile Mongo Podcast, where we go behind the scenes in the cheese world to chat with the people making, selling, or distributing your favorite specialty food products. I'm your host, Janae Muha, certified cheese professional, longtime cheesemonger, and producer advocate. Indianapolis has made itself known on the food scene with some pretty fantastic products. Smoking Goose is high on that list. What started as a retail butcher shop and neighborhood market has turned into a nationally distributed charcuterie company that is seen in cheese shops big and small. In this episode, I talk with Chris Ely on how he built his meat empire. He gives us a basic primer on salami production, the pizza analogy he relies on to create the flavor profiles of his products, and how COVID has helped them build better systems to accommodate his consumer base. My name is Chris Ely. My wife and I own Smoking Goose and Goose the Market. I guess the way I kind of got into it uh, was more just an interest in butchering in the beginning. So in my uh, former career, I was a I was a chef, worked as a chef, and I did a lot of the center of the plate type stuff for restaurants. So I did a lot of like the um, the specs and like portion cutting um, for um, kind of some larger restaurant groups, some steakhouses and fine dining. So I would do a lot of like the packing houses and I would visit. So I started to get interested just in the butchering uh, initially. And then that kind of at that time was like uh, when the the butchering was really starting to lead into like the whole hog process and like the whole animal. So, so I, I was in a good position at that time because I actually got to like um, work with a lot of larger restaurant companies uh, and help utilize the entire animal rather than just portion cutting, like the primary cuts of what we would normally do, like what people would call like the American cuts. Um, and so that's kind of how I got interested in it. Uh, when I really started getting into it, I really loved a lot of the markets in Chicago. I was living in Chicago at the time, and I really loved the neighborhood markets, just like the small, like, Polina market, and just like the, every every market, or every, uh, you know, it's like any big city, I guess, but has its own little, like, borough of a market that is, like, uh, caters to the people of that area, whatever, you know, whatever their background is, and so I liked, I really liked all those small markets in Chicago, and Indianapolis at the time had a couple uh, like kind of old school uh, butcher shops, uh, one German butcher shop that's still around. It's a great shop. And then um, two other kind of like American style butcher shops that were really cool um, and that are still here. They're older shops. So I kind of wanted to bring get back into like uh, more of the European uh, with like the French and Italian influence as a neighborhood market. Um and we don't really say that a lot. I mean, that's not really like on our door, um, but I just wanted that feel of a neighborhood market. And um, I had like the classical training in culinary and I liked that background of cooking. And so that butchering led to smoking and curing and then that led to the salami making. So it was kind of a process that happened over the course of maybe uh, five or 10 years, um, probably 10 years before I really started making salami at our uh, well, we started making some in Chicago, but really started making it in Indianapolis at our retail shop. Um, Chicago was like hiding it in wine rooms. Uh, the health department at the time didn't really have good um, plans, uh, HACCP plans in place, so they didn't really know to check. So you're always kind of hiding it. When we came to Indy, 
really started diving into it and doing making our own stuff to sell so yeah that's kind of how i fell into it i guess so tell me about smoking goose like what are all the parts because i've you've got you guys got a lot of little parts (laughs) (laughs) yeah i mean i tend to uh in our businesses i tend to like uh not be not to like pigeonhole ourselves too hard into one thing so we do do kind of a lot of different things for our 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 size of company but so at the core of it, I mean, the core of Smoking Goose uh, is um, uh, kind of very unique styles of, of charcuterie, basically. So curing, smoking, drying uh, of meats of all types. So not just strictly pork. We do a lot of game meats. We do a lot of uh, uh, influence, I'd say, by different cultures. But quite honestly, the flavor profiles, the style, um, the pigs, the hardwoods, the wood we smoke with, all that type of stuff is a... Is, uh, to like represent our region of the country right so it's a uh, our region is the very seasonal very fluctuating in temperatures and humidity um it is uh obviously great hardwoods uh okay in some areas at raising hogs really good in other areas depending on what parts of the state uh, you're in um the other types of things, a lot of like foraged ingredients, so foraged spices, uh, herbs. Um, we use obviously like things that are brewed near us. Uh, so meads, uh, beers, sour ales, those types of things. So really just kind of like, I mean, in the best sense of cooking, it's like use the best ingredients that you have around you to try to not screw it up and just create something really good. And that's pretty much what we do. The other facets of it, you know, retail, we do have retail shops. We, we have an e-commerce business um, that is not only our products, but our, you know, a, a host or a variety of other types of items as well. Um, we, um, we do some catering, but that's different now than it was a year and a half ago or two years ago. Um, but yeah, I mean, the biggest part, the main drive of our business is our, our uh, smoking, curing, salumi and all that type of stuff. So it's good. So Indianapolis, I feel like has a new kind of burgeoning food production scene, or it feels new to me because I'm on the West Coast. So I've only just been hearing about it over the last couple of years. Uh, so what yeah. made you choose Indianapolis? And why do you think that that is now kind of like the hotspot for food production? Um, I mean, the thing that I guess the character, the, I chose Indianapolis because I grew up here. And I always knew that when I was going to start doing my own thing, I wanted to do it back here and uh some of that's just because i liked indy i loved indianapolis at the time i thought there was a lot of opportunity i felt like i had the ability to uh make more of an impact on a city or an area like this i guess than i wouldn't say a place like um you know chicago or some of the other cities i lived in and not that you can't in those cities but you know there's a lot of noise you know there's just a lot always going on right um it's chicago's probably a easier city or a better city maybe an easier city i mean it's, it's known as a true like meat town like meat uh food manufactured food production kind of town i mean that's you know all the slaughter areas and or slaughterhouses there and all the cutting houses all the big state cutting houses were there um but uh any that was at the time 15 years ago well i didn't actually come back here to open smoking goose i came back here to open the market so really the once we had the market open it was more like hey we're gonna stay here we're we're gonna like really dig deep you know um 
the market was like, that's the type of business that's easy. If you wanted to pick it up and move it, you kind of essentially could. You could kind of do that, do our market in any neighborhood you want to, really. Um, uh, but in terms of like really digging deep and building something like we've been building over the past 10 years at Smoking Goose, I like the urban areas of the city. Um, you know, it's a lot. The buildings are newer. The facilities are nicer. It's cheaper. All the smaller towns and the suburbs will give you more money and tax breaks to go out there. Uh, I just didn't want to do it. There's a lot of empty buildings in the urban area of Indianapolis that needed some love. And a lot of the food manufacturing, like the smaller companies that were starting up, um, have kind of stuck to not all, but some of those buildings downtown now the breweries are down there and that sort of thing. Um, I, uh, I, I stayed downtown mainly because I like the neighborhoods and I like the old buildings. I like the old industrial areas. And I, you know, I wanted to be a part of like bringing those old industrial areas back. And when we opened in 10 years ago, there was like nothing in our neighborhood. You were there recently. You've seen all the homes that are going up in the area and all the other, um, redevelopment of those warehouses. I mean, there's like uh, is it called fouling fouling you know this fouling mm-hmm. I don't know there's like all these it's like a mixture between bowling and football so I don't know there's like a fouling place nearby there's a guy that makes ice cream you know like there's all kinds of stuff now and it's a really cool neighborhood um and uh I'm I'm glad that we were able to be a part of that over the last 10 years because it's been a lot of fun to see things you know change um uh, and, and honestly, like, it didn't even change. It's not like the neighborhood flipped because there's still, like, a lot of, you know, a lot of the old neighborhoods still there, which is great. And I, don't, I mean, there's probably certain areas that they're getting pushed out, unfortunately, which sucks. I hate that. Um, but there's still a lot of areas that you can tell it's, that's the way those neighborhoods have been, you know, for 20 or 30 years. The area kind of got, went off the rails a little bit because of when they put the interstate through the city, it kind of divided the city in half. And that was kind of like the half part of the city that like kind of, I, I, I guess got ignored. I don't really know. I wasn't here during that time, but uh, it's coming back, you know? So I think the other thing is just pretty centrally located. You know, I mean, it's hard for us to get way West where you are like easily. Um, but in terms of like shipping our products to most places where we need it to go, it's like, we're right. They, you know, they call it the crossroads of America for a reason. It's like, you know, the, all the interstates that come right through the heart, you know? So we like to think of ourselves as a, a lot of people refer to us as the flyover state, but we kind of like to think of ourselves like the heart of the Midwest, you know? <laughs> and that's true. I mean, it's, you know, yeah. it's one of those things where you're so close to like Chicago that you could basically port off of anything from Chicago to East or West or. Yeah. Yeah. And then South is like, South is straight down. So. <laughs> yeah. I mean, even if you just think of 65, if you, I think you you drove 65, I think you can get on 65, you can hit some of the cool cities going from Chicago, Indy, Louisville, Nashville, um, Montgomery, uh, I hit all of those I know, cities. I'm, I'm, pro- I'm probably forgetting some, a couple other ones, but there's some great cities just along 65, you know? So I don't know. It's fun. <laughs> <laughs> so let's talk about like how you choose like the farms that you work with and like what your inspiration is for some of the flavors that you produce. Cause you definitely, I know you kind of talked about like what's local and whatnot, but like some of them seem pretty, um, they're innovative. They're different. Mm-hmm. They're not what you normally see. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I like in terms of like the flavor. Well, I guess to start at the farms, 
um, the farms, most of these, most if not all the farms I've worked with for a very long time that we currently work with, the, some of the longest ones go back, date back to Chicago. So 17 years, Gunthorpe Farms is the one, probably the longest farm that I've worked with um, since we've started, or I guess kind of even since I was cooking. So when I was first kind of getting into like working with small farms, uh, he was the one in Chicago that I think it was in the late nineties. Uh, he can tell the story better than I can, of course, but this was way back for him. Pretty, he's only maybe he's maybe ten years older than I am. Um, but he his first big opportunity was he sold a whole pig to Charlie Trotter, and he drove it in the back of his hatchback to Charlie Trotter's restaurant in Chicago. He never, I don't think he'd ever even been to Chicago, so he's like driving through Chicago, white knuckle driving a sedan, and so. For me, that was like my first introduction, like, oh, wow, there are still farms. I didn't, I mean, I was kind of young at the time, and I guess I didn't even realize that there's actually like small farms that you can, you know, bypass raid pigs from. So that was kind of my introduction to that. And I would say that was roughly 15 to 20 years ago, definitely more than 15 and maybe close to 20 years ago. And so I've worked, I've bought um, pigs from him probably every week for 20 years i probably had an order for him um no matter kind of where i've gone or where i've been um uh and then uh, you know it's kind of we kind of went through this time where people were having a hard time getting pigs slaughtered in the in indiana at smaller facilities some of the smaller facilities started to close um and then during this whole you know this whole covid thing last couple last couple years it really kind of we used to really be able to do like six to 10 pigs from like other small farms and, you know, kind of do a lot of different um, hairsries, but it kind of, it got really rough during COVID to be able to get those pigs slaughtered. I mean, they were waiting like six months out. So it kind of has fallen off. I mean, something I'd like to get started again, because that's where we were able to do like, I mean, no one, no one really raises like uh, enough, like large black hogs to supply us every week. Um, but we were able to do like different breeds from different farms and, and like kind of rotate between five or six different farms and different types of pigs. And I want to be able to get back to that and the slaughter, you know, like I said, the slaughtering kind of got messed up, but, um, you know, hopefully, you know, there's been a lot of, uh, money coming from the USDA to help smaller slaughter facilities open up more regionally again. Uh, so hopefully we'll see some of that come back. Uh, you know, as far as the flavor profiles, I always like to think of it as like a, uh, uh, as a Neapolitan style pizza. Like if you put more than three, if you got more than three flavor prop flavors going on, it's too much. Like it's just like, it's too much for that delicate of a pie. And like, for me, it's like, I like to keep it to like two or three, like primary ingredients. Uh, and then that's kind of where I start. So I'm always like, all right you know, I never really like, I don't want to like have too much going on. Right. So I want to pick two or three things that go really well together. Sometimes that's a protein. Sometimes like that's a variety of protein. So from there, it's in, I write down like lists, I constantly like write lists of ingredients that are um, available um, and, you know, different proteins that are available and different things that we could do. Like I have um lists in my phone just of like when I think of things of like separate ingredients so I'd like to do something with this ingredient sometime and then I don't even know what I'm going to use it for and a lot of times it'll just sit in my phone for 
months or maybe years. Um, so they want to, you know, time to like try to bring something together. I usually have like some stuff um, that I start picking from. Like, oh, I'd like to try to do this. Where can we get this? Does anybody have this available? And a lot of it, it's usually like, obviously like things that I see are around me. Like I usually get the ideas because I'm either, I either talk to somebody that's growing it or meet them at a market or see it at a roadside stand, something like that. And I'm like, oh man, that'd be really cool. Uh, if we could somehow incorporate that into something um, that we could do. And then I try to pick the right time of year or the right time for our business or the right opportunity for the, the company to try to bring those flavor profiles together. So I mean, in terms of like the creative side, I'm not, I, I've always told people like, uh, like at my heart, uh, I have to work really hard at the creative side. Like I'm, I'm like a process driven, organized, very organized person. And I'm not, uh, I'm not like, a, am not that creative person that's kind of like all over the place, but they can really just like throw some crazy cool stuff together last night. Like I have to really work at it. Like I got to really uh, push myself to be creative and to come up with ideas. So basically that just means I have to like constantly brainstorm uh, and constantly take notes on like stuff that I think is, I would like, or I think is cool and that I would like to do sometime. And then I try to like bring them together somehow and make them work. And then it's like usually trial and error. Then I usually screw it up a lot. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you don't learn anything unless you screw something up. (laughs) Right. That's the, that's the fun part about it. Right. I love that analogy though, of uh, like the Neapolitan pizza and like, I personally like things that have uh, a bit more nuanced flavor and aren't super punchy, but like you still get all of those elements. So I really appreciate that because sometimes I'm like tasting something. I'm like, I don't even taste the meat. Like this just tastes yeah. like spice and I don't, it's fine, right. but that's yeah. not what I want to be able to taste like all of the elements in it. So I really yeah. appreciate Or that. Or the other opposite side is there's like, they say the elements are there but then you can't taste that. You only taste like one dimensional, you know, like, so that's the other thing is like, I love balance. Like I like, I like, if I have a couple of things there, I want you to be able to taste each one of those individually, but at the same time, like not one should overpower the other two or so, you know, that's why I like the pizza. You know, like why I always think of it as a pizza because like it's the ingredients should be simple and good and they should speak for themselves and it should be balanced, you know, like, you know, I think of a pizza like everything is very evenly dis- on a good pizza. Everything is like evenly dispersed. It's not like all clumped together in one big bite. You know, you should get a little bit of everything every time you, you try it. So like when you start talking about grinds and mix it and how to mix it uh, and how we should incorporate the different ingredients, uh, it's really important for me that you like you get a little bit of the, each of those elements in every bite and that they don't overpower each other. I don't know. It's a, you know, no, that doesn't always work. (laughs) It can't always work, but it works. It works enough that like you're doing something right. (laughs) It works in theory, right? Sounds good. At least when you say it. (laughs) So one of the things when you were giving me the quick tour that I was pretty enthralled with is the, um, your knowledge of firewood and like your, you were just able to (laughs) pull these percentages out of your brain on like how quickly things, um, should burn. Um, so what besides that, what other kind of like weird little things that you are now considered an expert on that you weren't (laughs) expecting when you started this business? I don't know. I think you become a, 
like a mild expert on a lot of things because you have to like is it whether it's plumbing or electrical or welding like i don't know how to do any of those things like well like like i couldn't do one of them like professionally you know but you kind of like have to do enough to be able to get by uh, so i don't know yeah there's a lot of different things not, today it's a lot of carpentry work we're doing a lot of finished carpentry so trim and cabinets and counter we just installed a big old slab of walnut or, for our new counter um but i don't know i mean as far as it relates to food um i would say the the piece that um a lot of people don't understand and i think it's kind of hard to explain until you like make a lot of mistakes or you you see it actually work is like the whole balance of like dew point and humidity and temperature uh, when you're drying something because there's so many different things that can go wrong i mean you know drying too quickly um you know not drying quick enough or too much moisture in the air or not applying heat when you should be i like the fermentation of meat like i think it's really cool i like really like developed flavors in meat um you know, like we're not like a um we're not just like a salt and thyme company which is funny i mean i think a lot of people like the tradition i, I do too i have a huge appreciation for the salt and thyme theory um but i like to think of it as more like salt time heat and humidity and the moisture and like the whole fermentation that happens in the cultures uh and the flavors that you could the depth of flavor you can develop by you know messing with those things um so i think that's really enjoyable i think i don't know if i'd call myself an expert on it but i definitely like to take notes and learn and like try to do different things you know um i think you know seeing how uh how different sugars ferment in meat is pretty cool so like whether we use like a raw honey or uh uh we use i mean we've done trying to think of what other ones we've done we actually we did one with a ginger beer syrup uh as kind of like the sugar like the for the fermentation uh i i, I think that stuff's pretty cool uh, and i think that's like kind of the fun part for me it's the fun part that's like the fun stuff to teach other people um because like to some people it's just like oh you put meat in a room and then you go back you know 60 90 120 days later and it's done it's like no dude like no uh, it's like there's so much more going on or that can go on if you're not paying attention to it uh, it's not really like a set it and forget it type of thing you know so i don't know it's fun <laughs> that's a that's a good part can you i guess i i talked to mike phillips last week um mm -hmm. and i guess i haven't really I should probably do this for a cheese episode too, but just kind of give me a brief walkthrough of like how from the time that the meat comes in, how does it get to a finished product? You can do a brief yeah. over overview of that. I wish it was brief. I know that's I the hard know. part. <laughs> this yeah. could be a whole and, episode yeah. in and of itself. Right. Uh, well, we have, we, we essentially have, we have four different possible processes. The most simple being, fresh ground so we do simple fresh ground sausages in bulk and chub so that's easy cuts come in they get cleaned out so we we, we now we do uh, 50 pigs a week with one farm and then about 10 to 15 pigs a week with another farm so depending on where they're coming from we have them cut you know a specific way and subprimals and then from there that's how most of the time what we're receiving 
at this point. We and those take are those raw cuts. sausages when that people will have to cook when they take them home. Yeah, this, okay. this type of product. Yeah, raw sausage. And it's a very small portion of this is like our smallest category, what we do. In fact, we only do two, sometimes three different uh, products this way. So that's comes in, grinds. We grind it, spice it, mix it, and pack it. That's the most simple one. Um, the next one would be um, would be a smoked sausage or fully cooked uh, product. So this could range from salumi, like uh, capicola, mortadella. We do a we do a cooked capicola. Uh, we do a salami cotto. Um, those are uh, come in, trim, spice, grind, mix, stuff, link, hand tie, rack. And then they go into, typically, they're either going to go to fermentation or go to cooking after that. Chill, slice, portion, package, box, label, pallet ship. So that would be the mostly for those two, two options. <laughs> and then fer fermented. So the fermented salami or, uh, would be uh, mostly the same process, except for we go to fermentation. After fermentation, we go to drying, two-step drying process. Um, and then depending on what it is, we would sometimes clean it. So this could involve either brushing mold, depending on how the mold developed, uh, we may brush mold. Uh, if, if it's a product that's not supposed to have any mold on it, but it did, it does, uh, we may wash it, which would be like a, a light, um, uh, like a light acid wash. We use vinegar, so like a vinegar and water solution. Uh, to wash the surface off just to get any mold that wasn't supposed to be there and then packaging and, and shipping and then um, the dry curing is uh, a little bit different probably different than most of them and a lot of our whole muscle will come in trim you know depending on what we're doing with it either tie it net it get it prepared for salt so it's either going to be a one or two options when it comes to salting and spicing uh, the majority of what we do so like all our bacon uh, all of our whole muscle, uh, all this is going to be a, uh, a dry cure. So it's all going to be salt, to usually some sort of a sugar, um, usually just organic, organic cane sugar um, and spices. Uh, we're going to massage it with all those spices, uh, let it sit depending on the size. So depending on how thick or how the diameter is of that cut of meat, uh, we'll kind of determine how long we're going to allow it to sit in salt. We do have a handful, a handful, I think two items that we inject brine into them. So we make a liquid brine, very similar process, only it's going to be uh, the addition of water in that uh, spice and cure mixture. Um, and then those are either going to go to cooking, depending on if they're going to get cooked or fermented and dried. Those will be the next steps in those. So a lot of moving. We make... <sighs> we make like roughly 40 or 50 different items that we keep in inventory at all times. And then out of those items that can be packed a bunch of different ways. So they were, we probably run around somewhere around like 60 or 70 SKUs, uh, like actual like item codes of stuff that we make. Um, we don't co-pack anything. Everything's made in house. Uh, and, uh, so it's kind of, it's a lot, a lot of different things going a lot of different ways. Um, we're kind of like the, you know, most USDA facilities and a lot of the people you talk to are probably like this, but, you know, most of the bigger USDA facilities, they're designed to do like three things, like three things as fast as you can, like straight through, right? 
Uh, our facility is not. Our facility is like designed to do like a million different things, a million different ways. So the USDA loves us, needless to say. <laughs> Keeps them busy. Yeah. yeah. I think I'm just going to have to eventually do like meat fermentation vi- or podcast and a cheese making yeah. podcast. Cause that's, it's all, even though I understand mostly, I still don't understand it. <laughs> um, all right. So let's talk about the last two years and COVID. Yeah. yeah. Um, how did that affect your business? I didn't. It was fine. No, I'm just kidding. I was like, <laughs> well, that's cool. I mean, I've heard of very few people that that's been the case, uh, but cool. <laughs> uh, I mean, it, you know, it's, I think, uh, you know, like anything else, good and bad things. Um, oh, yeah. I mean, we, we, we got really busy in different areas. Um, basically, all of our food service distributors, like, essentially just stopped, you know, and like, yeah, it was kind of a scary moment when you realized, like, I mean, there was like definitely one week. But yeah, these these companies are like ordering every single week, every single week. And there was one week where like just like one person after another was like, "I need to cancel my order. I need to cancel my order. I need to cancel my order." And then like to not get any new orders. So that was a little bit scary at first. Um, I guess luckily, I don't know. I mean, this was kind of part of us always being like a little bit diversified and doing some other things, like not just focusing. Like, I'm always a little worried to have, like, too much of my eggs in one basket. So I like having I like having a lot of different things going on. I'd rather do, like, a lot of little different things than, than just be, like, uh, a cog in the wheel of, like, some big, like, this is all we do is we do this, we do this this way and we do this a million times over and over again. Um, so I had, we've done e-commerce for a long time, but we had just built a brand new e-commerce site, uh, like, prior to this starting and the whole point of our that building that new e-commerce site was to like um remove the friction as these people say the people that like are good at this i think uh you know like remove the customer friction in the purchasing process right so it used to be just like oh hey if you want to buy our stuff fine here but you know it's kind of a pain in the ass and you kind of got to deal with our website um and about three or four years ago, I started like saying, we started going down this path of like, Hey, like, let's make this a whole nother, you know, aspect of our business, but like, let's be really good at it. And so part of like trying to be really good at it is to like, you know, simple shipping options, like it's clear, you know, it just make the, make the process like really simple, uh, for the, the for the customer. So we had that in line. So basically when the lights shut off on our distributors, the retail just went crazy and not just the e-commerce, but now a lot of the, you know, a lot of the retailers that were, may have been buying from food service distributors couldn't get, um, couldn't get the, couldn't get our products. Right. So then all of a sudden they were calling, you know, direct and we start, so we just started shipping directly to all these people, consumers and, you know, stores, and building those relationships directly with people that we may or may not have had that relationship with before. Um, everybody was really, um, it's different and it's different and a good though. There's some good things. The cash flow like turned like flipped the opposite way where we were always like waiting on terms for distributors. And all of a sudden, like we had all these orders coming in that everybody was essentially paying before the, as the product was leaving or before the product was leaving. So that was like, it made things a little bit more, 
um, uh, easy to deal with, I guess, uh, just from that aspect. But we we never we never stopped working. You know, we started separating, and we um, uh, everybody stay. They weren't working the same amount. They were maybe working more. Um, it was I don't know. I don't even really think about it too much, quite honestly. I kind of forget all the stuff we did. It seems like a long time ago now. To me, it's just like you grow up. You grew up. You've grown up around food. You've been doing it for a long time, right? How how long have you been doing it? Uh, coming up on twenty years. Like it's never the same. Like shit just changes all the time. Like I, you know, like you're not really surprised when. Any, I mean, of course, we're surprised when COVID happened, I guess, but like you're not really surprised when stuff like when your cooler breaks down or when this happens or that happens, it's just like, you know, there's no like reason to dwell on it or like uh, to try, you know, to like get bummed out. You just be like, okay, so now what do we do? You know, it's like, that's, I feel like we're pretty innovative people when it comes to food. Like we're used to moving very perishable. It's like moving ticking time bombs constantly. Right. Like we're just good at like, those problem solving like okay that's fine what do we do now like how do how do we do something different um and i don't know to me it was just it was a big one but it was just like kind of like any other year i mean i feel like every year there's something like that that happens you know like i don't know it's always different just try to i think that within our age range too with like the you know 9-11 and the 2008 housing bust and all of that stuff i feel like we've been through enough big things where we're like we just deal with whatever comes next. Things are going to change. Who knows? Yeah. yeah. Stay calm, you know? Well, I don't know. I mean, freak out a little bit, like, but like figure right. it out still. Yeah. I give myself like 24 hours to freak out about something, you know, like, okay. And after that, it's like, all right, let's move on. You know, start, start working on, you know, whatever we're going to do next, I guess. But, but yeah, I think that you yeah, already built that into your business plan in terms of diversifying enough that like you can move a little more flexibly than some places that are kind of stuck in what they're doing. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And it's actually something that came out of it early on. We started, so so we had such success with the e-commerce site and we were, we're, I feel like we're pretty good at it. Um, We, I agree. I think you're great. I ordered twice (laughs) during COVID. So yeah, I appreciate it. I mean, I'm not going to say we're perfect. I'm sure we messed some stuff up. So if somebody hears this, I'm very sorry. And we'll fix it. So (laughs) just let let us know. We'll take care of it. Um, But we feel like we were pretty good at it and we quickly built a a wholesale e-commerce site. Um, So this, you know, because so many people, you know, it's very, you know, taking orders, you know, via text or phone calls or emails, uh, it's a very, um, you can make a lot of mistakes. You can, uh, there's a lot of back and forth that has to happen. It's, it can be a pain. And then like, not for us necessarily, but for the customer. Um, and that really, we doubled or tripled those kind of orders that we were doing during that time. And I was like, oh, who knows how long this is going to last. And quite honestly, this is a part of our business that like another aspect of our business that we can grow. So we quickly built this, um, wholesale, you know, it's a login password type situation. You have to have an, you have to have a wholesale account with us. Um, but other than that, I mean, it works a lot like a e-commerce website. I mean, you can, all the descriptions are there, all the pricing, the pack sizes, 
you know, the flavor profiles, all these types, all that information is right there and accessible. Um, it's far less mistakes are made in terms of like, oh, do you want pounds or pieces? Or do you, you know, what's the price going to be? Or what's my shipping going to be? Uh, you know, it just makes that process a lot easier for the customer. Um, and uh, it's, it's going really well. Uh, we're, we've been running it now for about a year. And um, it's really to the point now where like we could, we could real we could we could you know double or triple the amount of business that we're doing through that website just because we've got a lot of the kinks worked out now um so it's still not perfect you know it's still like another real good year um to work out even more of the stuff but i mean most of it is not noticeable to the consumer most of it's like back-end stuff uh, or, or noticeable to the customer so that's been something like that came out of it that was pretty cool that I probably wouldn't have done otherwise, like had we not kind of been forced to do something like that. Um, so we'll continue to grow that and, you know, see how, see how it goes. That's cool. Cause you know, I've been a buyer before and I've worked with a lot of the like wholesale e-commerce type of stuff. And sometimes you just have to know what you're ordering to order it yeah. and like that kind of sucks. So to be able to actually see what everything is and get the flavor descriptions, I think that that's awesome and like super helpful yeah. as on our end of being a buyer because it does yeah. kind of get tough when you're like pages and pages of stuff and you're like, I have no idea what this yeah. thing is. So yeah, and we like to do a lot of like seasonal stuff. Uh, you know, we we offer you know you know something we end up having a lot of inventory on something. We'll offer discounts on it on there. So there's a lot of like stuff that you can do that way that you can't really it's hard to do over the phone or email sometimes to every single person that you talk to and so like it's a good way for us to like get those messages out so when those buyers are going to those pages like you said like it's impossible to remember who's doing what when and when's this coming out and you know when do i have to order this by you know it makes it a lot simpler in my opinion i mean our next thing that will you know i i need to get done or we want to get done is is the app it's good it's it's mobile friendly but uh i want to have an app too so hopefully that'll be the next thing but everybody's got an app so i guess we got to get one um so besides that what else are you guys working on like i know you're remodeling the market right now yeah, yeah the and then we're we're building some new actually um building some new rooms over at smoking goose new shipping rooms um that's next. So as soon as these guys get done here doing our refrigeration, then they're going to start working on our new room, our new shipping rooms over there. Um, and then um, we're kind of working on some of our slice retail um, packaging and like the appearance and the shelf life of that, uh, the different types of packaging. So we're going to improve some of that. So we, we, we actually just got in some equipment that we're going to be installing to, to work on that. That's not that exciting. That's kind of like nuts and bolts type of stuff. That's not like super exciting, but, um, as far as products, we got, uh, our two holiday products that are coming this year are real. I'm really excited about, um, the, we have a blackberry and duck salami with a sour ale. That's, that's pretty freaking good. That I'm really excited about. That's with an Upland sour ale. So Upland's a brewery out of Bloomington, Indiana. They, they're kind of known for sour ales. They got a bunch of different sour ales that they do. Um, so I'm really excited about that. And then we got a, uh, for our ham, we do a ham every year for like a holiday ham that we run, uh, that we'll run essentially through the end of the year. And then, then also through like Easter of the first part of next year. Um, 
So this one is a is a peachwood smoked ham. So yeah, those are kind of things we're working on right now. Um, it's been tough to be like, um, you know, we're we're really busy right now, and like everybody else, um, we got you know, especially anybody that ages meat, you can A lot of these people got caught off guard, and when when all the food service came back this year, and it's not those are the types of things that are hard to like turn around and. Um, you know, so there was a couple of things that happened. Um, there was this time where all these, like a lot of like, uh, slaughtering places and people were having issues with actual COVID, you know, roughly, I guess it would have been a little less than a year ago now. I mean, it was right around like Thanksgiving, like between like Thanksgiving and Christmas last year. So that caused some, some people to make less product at that time of year. And, and it wasn't necessarily us. We weren't having issues getting our pigs killed at that time of year. But essentially, I kind of what I'm picking up of what happened is that they essentially couldn't make stuff for X amount of weeks or weren't making as much or whatever. So it's really causing like some major shortages and some some of their production currently. They don't have the product. So what it's doing is forcing people um, like that wouldn't maybe not spend as much on our product. Um, they're like pricing themselves up because some of the less expensive stuff isn't available. And so we're really getting killed on some stuff that like we weren't, we didn't anticipate seeing uh, a huge jump on. Um, and uh, so, you know, I was just scrambling to try to make more and try to find more room to age more. And um, you know, you can't, it's not really a, a switch you can just flip when those things happen that quickly so but you know i mean i'm not mad it's just uh it's it's you know we're having the same problems with um uh, you know finding enough people to do the job um uh, sometimes getting product from us to our customers has been an issue a lot of freight issues right now um so like unfortunately we're spending a lot of time on like kind of headache stuff like that you know which isn't fun but just part of it i guess running the business but all right last last couple questions here this is kind okay. of the, the speed round oh, okay what is your current cheese crush um i've been eating a lot of uh probably foxglove um with uh we made some strawberry jam earlier this year and that for like breakfast good it's real good so that's probably my, that's my cheese crush right now, for sure. It's not surprising that you did choose kind of a meaty cheese. <laughs> yeah, it is kind of a meaty cheese. Yeah. Yeah. Um, your best food memory. And it doesn't necessarily have to be about like actually eating food, but just like yeah. a time that really sticks out in your head around food that is just super memorable. Yeah. Uh, I had a hard time with that one too, because I kind of have probably three like three main ones really like you know my from a kid or like my longtime one is my mom's lasagna that she makes for christmas we make, she makes it christmas day every year so like that to me like you know is probably my favorite um one of my favorites from traveling was actually influences a product i make now but uh in montreal i met this guy uh, who made a kind of a whole hog salami because I had never really considered putting like offal in a salami at, by, at that time and I want to say this was like maybe a year or two before I opened Smoking Goose uh, we were in Montreal 
and I met this guy, had his stuff at a farmer's market. And um, it was a lot of like, it was a lot of heart and liver. I mean, there was, there was pork shoulder, um, but then there was a lot of heart, liver, and then just like an obscene amount of red wine. Um, and really nice guy. Uh, he spoke French uh, primarily, but he had like a little bit of English. So like we had kind of a broken conversation and he kind of like roughly, you know, you don't, he kind of like roughly told me his process. And um, I like, it was part, you know, first of all, when you're traveling, everything tastes better, you know, like, and obviously it was a great salami, not to downplay it all, but like everything is a great memory. You know, like all my, a lot of my food memories are like traveling, you know, like those are some of the best ones. Um, but he was super cool and it was like a beautiful day and like kind of just everything about the conversation I really loved. So like I came back and wanted to like try to, I guess kind of like try to recreate something similar to what um, to what I had there. So our, our saucy Saint Rouge is kind of our uh, is my uh, my effort, uh, and I still think his is probably better. Um, I love our saucy Saint Rouge, but his you know, and maybe because it was the 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 weather and and his personality and charm and you know everything else that went along with it. Um, why I liked it so much, but um, we make a, a we took a stab at it, and we've made the sausage on rouge for since I started making it at the market. But we've it's been one of our salami since we opened ten years ago, roughly. So, yeah, those are probably two of my big ones. All right, fave pairing, come on, quick, top of the head, first thing. Um, I mean, I don't know. That's you know, I'm kind of like, if it's just like an everyday thing, yeah. it's like seriously salty potato chips and like really good French onion dip. Perfect. I, I like it. That's I love perfect. it. Perfect. I love that. Yeah. yeah. I mean, like really good French onion dip. I love good French onion dip. <laughs> I also am a fan. So I, oh, yeah, yeah, I love that. I love that. We were, we were camping in Ohio a few months ago and I picked one up probably my favorite of all time it was just like one of those i guess it was probably an amish one you know it was just in one of those little stores like a roadside store type of thing that i like i've been thinking about that french onion dip ever since then now it's like it's, it was pretty amazing <laughs> yeah you know when it's really good when you're like two months later like well is there anything about um smoking goose that you want people to know in particular that we didn't quite cover or um, you know, there's a lot, there's a lot to talk about at Smoking Goose, you know, I, honestly, we just want you to know, we love you guys, and, you know, we thought, we love the support, we love that you, you, you know, everything that, uh, you know, we just try to do something and not screw it up, we try to, you know, hopefully make something that you really enjoy and that you, uh, that you're, uh, want to try more of, so, I don't know, I mean, you know, if you got questions, email us, or, you know, shoot us a message on social media because uh we love uh we love the interaction and the communication so yeah i think that's all i got awesome well yeah. thank you so much for joining me yeah. and good talking to you have a good day chris's easygoing nature is prevalent in everything he does and this was such an enjoyable conversation Big thanks to Chris for taking time out of his busy schedule to chat now and when I recently visited. Also, big shout out to Molly for hooking up the road snack she provided from the market that kept me going after the wild flash floods I waded through to get to them. 
The generosity was much appreciated. This podcast is recorded, produced, and edited by me, Janae Muha. Thank you to Ben Muha for allowing me to use your music. To support the show, please find me on Instagram and Facebook at The Mobile Monger. To financially support the continuation of this podcast, please consider contributing to my Patreon. Thanks for listening, and remember to keep spreading the word of good courage.